Hi, and welcome to What's Next, the podcast where we explore the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm Christina Beckhold-Russ, your host for this week. At this moment in time, we're hopefully all very familiar with the high-level global statistics on diversity in the tech industry. And they're not pretty. But research shows that diverse, inclusive teams perform better. No matter the circumstance, you are more likely to succeed if you're surrounded by different points of view. That means demographic, experiential, and cognitive variety. Today, we're joined by two European leaders on this topic, Deborah Kenla, founder of Your Startup, Your Story, and Francesca Czech-Warner, co-founder and CEO of Diversity VC. Welcome to What's Next, Deborah and Czech. We're so excited to have you guys on. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. Ditto, ditto. So maybe we can start with properly defining diversity and inclusion, because I feel like those are both terms that often get confused with one another or are maybe too narrowly defined. It's not just, you know, male, female, white, black, being nice to people. It's not as as as, uh, as, as simple as that. So how would you each define or describe both diversity and inclusion? For us, I think we look at it in the context of diversity in terms of venture capital, which is where we're focused, and tech. Um, so we think of a diverse venture capital industry as one in which anyone from any background of any kind of group of any kind has access to that career path. And any entrepreneur of any background of any kind has access to capital. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're really focused. And then when it comes to inclusion, we think of, of that as being about people's ability to thrive and to be themselves and to bring their whole selves to work. So um, it's all very well having a team that's very diverse, but if those people aren't actually included, if their needs aren't being listened to, if they don't feel that they can actually bring themselves to work, then there's no point. Right. The diversity so, is useless at that point. Totally. Yeah. So you have to have the two together. And kind of from day one, our whole approach has been intersectional about everything that we've done. We've not wanted to take any individual group and prioritize it uh, over others. Um, again, I think this whole thing falls down, this whole conversation falls down if you don't actually address all of these things at once and do diversity and inclusion together. Yep. Deborah, how about you? Um, I have to agree with Czech. Um, Same thing. I think diversity for us is about recognising, so recognising that individual's identity and their experiences. And inclusion is about implementing, so implementing tools that allows them to um, thrive and to feel welcomed and appreciated. Often when I think about diversity and inclusion, I think about belonging and performance. Mm-hmm. If you're able to create an environment where people believe and can see that they belong, um, then their performance, then 10x. So that's kind of what we focus on. And there's a traditional saying that um, diversity is when you invite someone to the party and inclusion is when you ask them to dance. Mm-hmm. But you can take that a step further. That actually, if you had a party and you're only playing... Um, Justin Bieber all the time then how's that inclusion so it's about asking everyone actually what song would you like us to play mm-hmm. and allowing mm-hmm. everyone to have the opportunity to play Jay-Z, Beyonce or whatever your favourite artists are That's a great way to put it I really <laughs> like that So now that we've we've defined what it is that we're talking about could you each explain a little bit about the work that you're doing around D&I in the tech industry D&I being diversity and inclusion I co-founded and run an organization with a group of other people in the VC industry uh, called Diversity VC. So we're a nonprofit and we were set up uh, two and a half years ago to promote diversity and inclusion in venture capital and tech. We do that in four ways. We collect and publish original data on the status of diversity and inclusion in, in tech. 
Uh, we help young people from all kinds of different backgrounds get into the industry through an internship program. So we have two people now working in the industry who've come through that program. And we're doing another version of that program coming up this summer, which I can talk a bit more about. Um, the third thing is we help entrepreneurs themselves access capital. So we believe that entrepreneurs should be able to access capital, whoever they are. And then the fourth thing is we help VCs to be more inclusive. So we spend time with VCs because VCs, uh, even though they're a small industry, they actually have kind of disproportionate impact on the companies that they fund. And so we have a training course for VCs and we have a toolkit for VCs. So we all run this kind of in our spare time as volunteers, probably because we're we're mad. Um, but we kind passionate. of... Passionate. Yeah, very passionate. Um, and we sort of really believe that this needs to change. Uh, and I think we all came you know, from different perspectives and different angles um, and felt this personally in some way and kind of wanted to do something about it. Um, so it started very much as a sort of grassroots organisation. That's how it stayed. And I think it's helpful that we kind of know what happens within the industry day to day, that we can kind of try and put things in place that are empathetic to what people are going through. And it's not just kind of saying, well, this is our super aspirational plan that you have to follow. We understand that VCs are small organisations. The average size of VC is nine people. So they may not be able to do everything all at once. But, you know, we've made great progress so far. So hopefully that will continue. And was there any particularly with Diversity VC, was there any particular catalyst for your efforts or something that you know, made it important for you to, to participate in this? Mm, yeah, I think like everyone we work with and all of us as kind of co-founders and, and as volunteers have a different kind of catalyst for why we care so much about it and, and our board as well. But I think for me, it was coming into the industry. I, I came from a different background. I was in advertising before I came into VC. And I was just confronted by this completely white male, privately educated, posh, um, you know, environment. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm part of that in lots of ways. And I just felt that that wasn't really the right environment to be funding the future mm -hmm. of, you know, what the tech industry was going to look like. And um, I had multiple kind of occasions of being sort of mistaken for waitresses or <laughs> looking at uh, going to conferences where their entire 30 or 40 speakers were just white men. It just didn't feel right um, and, and also didn't feel like it was a good way to make, you know, a ton of money. Mm -hmm. um, right. So very practically, uh, that's what was the catalyst for me. Yeah. And Deborah, I think it's fascinating that you started YSYS with a WhatsApp group. Is that right? Yeah. So YSYS, it started as a WhatsApp group. Um, growing up, I was super, super introverted. So um, I preferred online connections. I've outgrown that now. Or I like to think I have. Um, so I just literally, in 2017, messaged a bunch of people on Twitter and asked if they would join my WhatsApp group that um, I could connect to people and learn more about the startup ecosystem. And those 30 people have grown into 200 people on Slack, including Czech. Um, and Love it. Yeah. <laughs> Very proud member. Yes. And, you know, they've become friends, champions, um, colleagues, collaborators, YSYS is a startup community passionate about diversity and inclusion. Our mission is to provide access and opportunities to diverse individuals and support organisations foster diversity and inclusion. What do you mean by support? Can you define that? So support through our impact programmes, um, which involve our pre-accelerator, our investment readiness programme, through our community activities where we do events um, or campaigns that really support diverse individuals. So whether that's a scholarship to learn more digital skills or organising a hackathon, this summer, we're launching a pre-accelerator called Founders Door for 18 to 24-year-old diverse individuals. It's a six-week program um, focusing on the lean startup methodology. 
where the cohort get access to laptops, travel and some cash prizes along the way. I'd be curious how each of you would define success for your organizations. Because ideally, with these kinds of issues, you, you kind of hope that you don't exist at some point, right? That is what we want to ultimately do, is we don't want to outlast the problem. We want the problem to, to go away. Um, on the other hand, I think there are more tangible sort of steps to defining that success than just that ultimate, um, you know, maybe quite lofty goal. So um, what we've tried to avoid is sort of pinning ourselves down to certain kind of demographic representation numbers within the industry. Like we need to have X percent of partners being Y by Quotas. X year. <laughs> right. because which is, that, which is frankly how a lot of organizations do define their goals and success yeah. metrics. Yeah. And I think there is a place for having the sort of focus on targets because it does, you know, help to, um, you know, push things forward. So, you know, having the the Hamilton Alexander review, which you know pushed for women on boards and things, that was very powerful and I think has been very effective. For us, I think what we're trying to do is dig deeper into the root uh, causes and the root um, enablers of change. And so, rather than looking at the outcomes of if you have people that fulfil these demographic criteria on your board or on your team, instead looking at do you have the infrastructure and the setup and all the tools and resources that you need to be a truly inclusive organization? And are you mm -hmm. a truly inclusive organization? Because if you are, then all of that will come mm -hmm. and all of that will follow. But, you know, these things involve people. It takes time. And just because you might have some people on your board, it may not mean that you are very inclusive. Right. So for us, success looks like a VC industry where Everyone has the tools, resources, the know-how, the training to be truly inclusive. Mm -hmm. What about you, Deborah? I think it comes back down to wealth distribution. It's not something that actually I often publicly talk about, but I think the more that we can connect diverse and underrepresented people to capital, mm -hmm. where that money goes back into their homes, it goes back into businesses that they support, it goes back into their community, we'll be able to create a society where... People have access to equal opportunities and nothing holds them back. And mm -hmm. I think for me, that's a long term goal. When we spoke on a panel, I mentioned one of the initiatives that I loved from Martin Luther King, which was Operation Breadbox in um, Atlanta. They basically supported white owned organizations, hire black talent. And when they hired them, they gave them training and um, they gave them tools to retain that talent, which is super important. And those that didn't want to hire black talent, they boycotted them. Um, but what that resulted in is in 25 years, 25 million going into black communities in Atlanta. With that, that's where you get growth. When you have capital, you can build businesses, you can take your child to school, you can take them out of Brixton and take them to places where they're going to thrive and be away from areas that kind of, you know, holds them back. And I think for me, that's what success looks like. Success looks like, to me, seeing people that have capital to make change, that, to make influence. That's a really important point, I think, especially yeah. with the social mobility, because that is another sort of whole topic of diversity mm -hmm. and inclusion 100%. that just doesn't get discussed. It's, it's not visible. 100%. And I think when we look at the diversity movement today... You know, how can we draw inspiration from movements that happened in the past, like the civil rights movement, like the movement for women's rights to vote? Because they, those were the same tools they were using, training, boycotting. Right now we have diverse inclusion training programs. We have campaigns. We put out reports to say, actually, here's a problem and here's some solutions and you need to move forward. Follow the hashtag. And it's the DNI problem right now. We say, you know, a lot of times they say diversity, inclusion, diversity, inclusion, there's a problem. And people sometimes boil it down to ignorance or 
you know, not being well informed. Right. I sometimes just call it it's, it's racism. Do you think there are any particular barriers that are unique to the UK and Europe versus, say, the US? Anything that's sort of systemic mm. to this particular ecosystem? I definitely think that our education system leads to mass, massive inequality. Mm. I don't know the US well enough, although obviously we've recently heard in the news about some of the sort of parents paying for their kids to go to mm -hmm. Ivy League colleges yep. and things. But the fact that some grotesque proportion of private school students go to the top universities is just not representative of the fact that talent is evenly distributed all over the world. That doesn't make any sense. There's not enough opportunities for people from lower income households to get to the top education levels. And then hiring is the next level of that. People hire from these incredibly narrow pools and they only look for certain university badges mm -hmm. in order that someone can go and work for them in some of the t you know, highest paid jobs. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing with the internship program is trying to break that and say, actually, fundamentally, you don't need to have gone to Imperial or Oxford to get a job in VC and to be a really great VC. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, part of that is because it's, you know, people are low on time and they have to filter somehow. I think that's why they do it. But it means that this kind of inequality is, is perpetuated. And you guys recent, recently launched or announced this great internship program for the summer where you got 30 venture capital funds here in London to participate in the internship program. Could you talk a little bit about what it was? Was it, you know, was that a hard sell to, to go into these funds and convince them to participate? Was it easy? What were those conversations like? Yeah, it was a little bit of a hard sell, although we've had amazing support from the VC industry and it's phenomenal that we've got, um, you know, all these funds signed up to take interns. I think the challenge with VC, as I said before, is a lot of the firms are really small. Um, there's not a lot of budget to go around. Um, there's not a lot of time, more importantly, to go around. So there's not time to really train uh, someone who's coming in completely fresh, doesn't mm -hmm. understand about venture. So we were sort of thinking about this and thinking about this for a couple of years. And then we um, actually took some inspiration via one of our advisors, Harry Briggs, who went to a program in the US where they had taken the students centrally and taught them about venture capital. And then they had spent time in portfolio companies, actually. So for us, you know, we're doing it differently. We're, we're Again, we're taking the students centrally, teaching them about venture capital. So we've got some of the top partners in the whole of the European VC industry teaching these young people about cap tables, about pitch decks, about VC economics. Um, and then they're spending time in the funds and then they're also working on a project alongside that. Um, and so the whole sort of process is designed that it's not a big um, time sink for the VCs, um, but so that they can spend time with these young people and, you know, experience that they're bringing new ideas, bringing new curiosity, um, probably very good at the job. I mean, I don't want to sort of preempt because we don't know what's going to happen and, and it is a beta and it may not necessarily work out the way we think it, it will. But I think that a lot of these funds will see a huge amount of raw talent and that they'll want to kind of nurture. And I hope that some people get hired off the back of it. Have you seen either of you any of the sort of challenges to inclusion and diversity change at all over the last couple of years since you've been working in the space on this topic? More people are talking about it. We've seen a, you know, a massive movement in terms of gender um, and women's rights being advocated. And now we're beginning, we're literally on the tip of just talking about the other intersections. Mm -hmm. um, so BAME founders, um, disabled founders, um, veterans, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Mm -hmm. And we're only just seeing that happening. Mm -hmm. um, but there needs to be more, more to be done. Mm -hmm. um, there's this amazing um, intersectional 
advocate lady called Brittany Cooper. She has a book called Eloquent Rage. And she talked about how the privilege control time. Mm-hmm. And there's a video on it on YouTube. And she said that currently now when we look at power, it's those that are privileged that are in positions of power. So predominantly it's white, um, middle-aged, well-educated men. They sit in politics. They sit on boards. And when you control power, you control the time when something's implemented. So you control the time when a law is implemented. You control the time when the civil rights gets enforced. You control the time when women have the right to vote. And you look at those individuals that control the time and they're the privileged individuals. So therefore they control the time because they have power. So often if you're an underrepresented individual, you're waiting for those in power. So you're waiting for the the white guy to tell you that you can now be relieved from the oppression that you're in. Mm -hmm. So that's why I feel like it's so important, again, coming back to wealth distribution and having people from diverse backgrounds in positions of power, mm-hmm. inviting and decision them making. and decision making, a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. We talk about having a seat at the table. Can we take it a step forward? Um, build your own table. Mm-hmm. We talk about opening the doors. If you can't get in through the door, come through the window. <laughs> Just get in the room. And we've, we've got to create that inviting and inclusive space where people can belong and perform. Yeah, and I think that's such a good point. We need those people who are in those positions of power to recognise that they are in positions of power mm-hmm. and to give up some of that power in order to open doors and create pathways for other people. So I think if one is listening to this podcast as a you know white man and, and sort of thinking, what can I do? I think think about your position and think about who else you can lend your position to, who else you can lend your voice to, how can you use your voice of power to elevate and um, shine a light on other people. Mm-hmm. So a few weeks ago, we talked with Tanya Bowler, uh, co-founder and CEO of LV, which is a great company uh, in the femtech space based here in the UK. And she mentioned that one of the reasons that um, she thought there was so much opportunity in the space that she's building in is that you know, for so long, there just weren't diverse um, individuals around the table thinking about the the space that she's going after. Things like, uh, you know, the uh, women's issues around uh, sexual and reproductive health and wellness. And that she felt that a lot of VCs perhaps missed out on the opportunity because they didn't have those diverse viewpoints around the table and couldn't recognize that this was a big market opportunity. Is that something that you guys have, have witnessed as well? Um, other examples, perhaps, that you've come across in your work? Um, so one example is from Tristian Walker, who's the founder of Bevel, which is um, a shaver for men to like shave their beards. And when he was raising investment, one of the investors asked him, well, do Afro-Caribbean men really get shaving bumps when they shave? And he said, had that individual actually asked 10 people around them or gone to seek those 10 individuals, they would have come across the fact that that is actually a problem. But I think it's just that research and also, you know, proving your some your assumptions or validating your assumptions, etc. Um, another startup out there called Trim It, which is um, the, the, first, the van. You might spot the van in London if you do take a picture, jump in. Um, and they are the first um, mobile barbering service that you can use an app to use. Basically, so you download... On-demand on barber. There you go. You said it better than I did. Um, all I know is that you download an app and a barber comes right to your doorstep in a van. You can listen to Stormzy, um, get your hair cut, drink a bit of Hennessy and look nice for your date. And I think there's a lot of opportunity in these underrepresented markets. Um, and if other people don't see it first, well, then that means there's space for us to go and do magic over there. 
I'd love to talk a little bit about the programs that you guys both work on because you are both doing such interesting and diverse work. Um, and one of the things that I most appreciate about both of your organizations actually is the focus on data and measurement. So YSYS does your annual impact report, which is great. And check, you guys do an incredible amount of work um, on various kinds of, uh, of data reports um, with different partners and, and co-sponsors. So why is data uh, important to you guys? And, and what are the metrics that you're most focused on? Yeah, I mean, data is hugely powerful and it has been something that's opened a huge number of doors for us and given us a lot of credibility. I wish it wasn't quite as important and I wish people didn't need it so much to kind of believe that this is a massive issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but over and over to, again. <laughs> more yeah. And more times yeah. Um, and I think that there's something a little bit problematic in that focus on data because it is very much that's only one part of the picture Mm -hmm. is kind of the numbers and counting kind of heads and things. And actually inclusion is not something that you can capture so well in data. Having said that, we do collect data and it is really important. So when we first started, um, we there was no numbers at all on the number of women, particularly in the venture capital industry. Um, Initially, we had wanted to look at all sorts of different demographic um, and sort of diversity metrics in the venture capital industry. But the sponsor we had at the time wanted to focus on women. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we did that initially. And actually also because it was pretty hard to do even that. Um, and so we used some quite interesting technology tools. We worked with a company called Craft that scraped a lot of websites to look at team pages, cross-reference that with LinkedIn. And that was how we uh, came up with the first study, which showed that half of investment teams had no women at all and two-thirds had no senior women. Um, that kind of catapulted us into something relevant because people could immediately grab onto those statistics. And then most recently, we've done another study looking at the pipelines of VC funds, which again, unfortunately, just looks at gender. But it showed that 89p in every pound invested in the UK in 2017 went to all-male teams, 10p went to mixed-gender teams, and 1p went to all-female teams. P being pence. Sorry, For our international Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, like a cent. Like a cent. Yeah, exactly. And 24%, a quarter of investment committees in UK venture didn't see a single woman at all at their investment committee the whole of the year. You know, these numbers give us some sense of the scale of the problem. They're nothing like enough, um, but they you know, do help us to tell the story. And I think that they are powerful for that reason. At YSYS, how do you guys think about what metrics are important to you? Our goal by 2020 is to support 100,000 diverse individuals. We've done 8,000 so far. So we've got a long way to go, a lot of work, but hopefully that will propel us. We want to provide access um, for great opportunities for diverse individuals and want to place them in those opportunities. But it's the two part that is super important because the two represents pathways. So what that means is that, you know, how do we connect an amazing individual in Brixton from a diverse background to an opportunity right in the heart of Tech City. And that access to Mm -hmm. that opportunity might be through campaigns. It might be through social media. It might be through an awareness at an event. And we measure that. So often we measure the reach. So say if we had an activation, how many people did that reach? And then we boggle down into like the demographics, etc. We feel like that's super important because it's not that that individual in Brixton or in Swindon or in Leeds doesn't have the ability um, or isn't super intelligent. They are, they're incredible. But that opportunity is so far away from them. So again, it's that two part that's super important to us. It's that pathway to entrepreneurship, to innovation that we're trying to bridge the gap. Mm -hmm. 
you guys both work with a, a lot of partners on this work and a really wide variety of them. And I'm curious what you're most often asked to help them with and then how you and that partner are measuring success. Or alternatively, are you mostly approaching partners with ideas about what it is that you would like to help them with and proposing that? I mean, for us, our partners are primarily, and our target market really is VC firms Mm -hmm. and funds. Um, And so we do get approached by them quite a bit. And it's mainly around recruitment um, Mm -hmm. because that is just an immediate need. Um, Can you help us hire someone in our investment team? Um, And so we put a jobs page on our website, for example, um, which is actually very, very simple, but has already driven quite a few people to get jobs in the industry. Um, we are also approached by some VCs when they're trying to look for more diverse deal flow as well. And so the way that we work with partners on that side is a bit like working with communities, even like YSYS, where we ran a session with Mosaic Ventures talking about what is venture capital? you know, What are the economics? What is a venture capitalist looking at? Because a lot of this is not measurable in data, but is about the education and mm-hmm. this understanding of what is even the opportunity and it, could it even be for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's sort of often what we're doing is education, is connecting with communities um, and bringing those communities into spaces that they otherwise wouldn't ever really have the opportunity to be in. Mm-hmm. And I think that top of the funnel piece is is really critical and a big challenge. Most funds now really are thinking about this and they want to increase diversity at the top of the funnel. They just aren't really sure how to go about it. Um, and sort of think that, you know, saying saying that you wanted it, it'll magically appear, which isn't the case. You have to go out and, and sort of do the work to bring people in, explain the opportunity to them and, mm-hmm. and educate them about what it is you're looking for. Yeah. And in some cases, it's going to be harder work than mm-hmm. just doing whatever you've done for the last 10 years, which is you need to know someone in our network already. <laughs> you need a warm introduction, which is genuinely what a lot of people still say, which I think is completely outrageous. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to be harder because you're going to have to kind of slightly go out of your way to, to get there. But what's kind of nice about that is that the funds that do that will be rewarded mm-hmm. with investing in the best companies that they're going to see opportunities that will be sneaking up on all the other funds that just didn't have that awareness. What I love about Czech um, is that you always invite people to the table and you always like welcome communities in. Um, so one of the biggest projects we're working on is One Tech, and that came through actually Czech pushing um, us forward. And I think a lot of times when we get approached by other organisations, it's around how can we support your community? Um, and that's how we work on our programs and that's how we collaborate how can we support your community how can we engage with your community how can we reach with your your community and also how can we build with your community so it's those three things that we sit on and 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 then that leads to the great work that we do so we're currently designing a hackathon um focused on the agri-tech food sector um specifically for diverse founders um look exploring like health food sustainability and they want us to design that because they know we have access to this amazing community. But they also, they want to learn and be like, how can we really support this community? And I'm super excited about this hackathon because it's um, three days, but there's three winners and they get 25k um, funding, which wow. is equity free. That's a great deal. Wow. Equity free. And I'm just like, wow, it's a super great deal. What we love, you know, about working with organizations that, yes, for us as a business is great. This is income. This is... um this is capital, but also the projects that we actually work on provide real opportunities for people in our community. Let's talk about tips. So some practical advice for people. What are one or two simple steps that every leader could make or take to make their teams more diverse and or inclusive? Hire diverse people. (laughs) I think it's that simple. Um, 
advertise in diverse places, um, be present in diverse spaces, um, use language that is friendly and is um, accessible and understanding for all the individuals to use and then hire that diversity because once you have them in-house, you're going to foresee any problems, challenges or opportunities. And there's also a great guide that you can reference. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for the plug. (laughs) Yeah, there is a guide. It's on um, diversity.vc forward slash toolkit if you're a VC. And if you are a founder, there's inclusionintech.com, which we did with Atomico, uh, which was a, a great partnership. Um, and that's all about if you're a founder, how do you, you know, start if you're a leader? But I think if, particularly, you know, I guess for me, I, I've done a few things um, that I think have been helpful. So one of them is I did a training course with Fearless Futures, which I highly recommend, which is all about privilege and social justice. And it looks at a very intersectional approach. Uh, the second thing is just very simple, but taking an implicit association test, implicit bias test, just to understand what your biases are. Um, we all have them and it's completely normal um, because of what we're exposed to. But knowing them helps you to counteract them. Thirdly, as someone who is white, I read a book called White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, which I really found quite incredible. And I think that people who are white should read that because it's very um, helpful to understand the narrative there. If you're going to kind of plunge in and do work on DNI, actually not damaging the whole issue further is is important. So understanding the entire context um, and understanding your place within that and where is not your place within that is really important. And then I think on, on Deborah's point about hiring, yes, hire more diverse people, but how do you do that? For me, it's about looking deeper into what you're actually hiring for. So writing a rubric properly of what you're looking for that doesn't have anything to do with where someone went to university or what job they had or any of that, just what you're actually looking for in terms of qualities. And that will give you a more diverse pipeline. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And I have to say, I'm so inspired by the work that you're doing. And I really can't wait to see where where you take us. So thank you guys so much. Thank you for having us. I really, really really enjoyed it. It was great. Thanks so much for listening to What's Next. We release a new episode every other week, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com forward slash podcast. I'm your host, Christina Beckhold-Rust. This episode of What's Next was produced by Rachel King, Laura Flynn, and Eliza Lambert, with Claire Mullen as sound engineer for Pod People. If you have questions or suggestions, we would love to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next or send us an email, podcast at samsungnext.com. Cheers. Cheers.